want to thank you publicly and on behalf of all the employees of this financial for being our PBC here for God knows how long, so many years, and all the contributions you made to the project, to our spiritual lives, we all really appreciate it. We're going to miss you in that role as PBC, and uh, we hope that you'll continue to visit like as PBC Emeritus, just to make sure things are going on. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you. Nice to see you. Thank you. Business class. Uh, well, what do you usually do? We usually just go right in the class. Yeah, whatever. Okay. When in Gainesville, when in Geneva. Do you want to use a book or do you want to speak extemporaneously? <laughs> Out of time, extemporaneously. I guess, I guess whatever you usually do. All right, we'll read a book. I need a helper to pass these out. Book monitor. Where's your book? of Srimad Bhagavatam. <clears throat> so, uh, Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya So, Tatra. Oh, that's a uh, text 25 in chapter 19. In my book, it's page 383. Tatra. Tatra. Abhavat. Yadrichaya, Kam, Atamano, Napechaha, Alaksha, Lingam, Lingam, oh sorry, Lingo, Nijalaba, Tushto, Britas, Cha, Alai, Abhuta, Vesha, Tatra Bhavat Bhagavan Vyasaputra, Yadrichaya Kamatamano Napiksha, Alakshalingo Nijalaba Tushto, Tascha Bhala Arvadhuta Vesha Tascha Bhala Arvadhuta Vesha Tascha Bhala Arvadhuta Vesha 
भगवान व्यास पुत्र because I was just looking at them for the context and they were just so uh, unusually eloquent in the Sanskrit. So I thought I would uh, just mention those. Uh, Parikshit, of course, hears from all the sages and in text 23 he says, Samagata sarvata eva sarvei vedajata murti tadastri prishtei that from, from everywhere you have all gathered and you are like the Vedas, Vedajata, Murti Dharas, bearing a form, in other words, like the personified Vedas. Murti, of course, means the form. Of course, also the form of the deity. And then Dhara is holding or sustaining, as in like Krishna is called um, Giritari because he held the hill and so on. And also the same Dara, by the way, which Prabhupada uh, explains when he uh, analyzes the word Dharma. What does Prabhupada say about Dharma? That which... Intrinsic. Or that which sustains. And so... Anyway, here uh, he says, Vedajata Muti Dharastri Prishte, like the personified Vedas in heaven. And then he says that, this is very important because this sets a, uh, 
the mood that he says they're atmashilam. Atmashilam means their personal character. Atmashilam, their personal character. Is um, he says that talking about uh, he says there is no purpose. The idea he doesn't specifically say you have no purpose, but he says there is no purpose, meaning that you have no purpose, and also really implying that he has no other purpose. Nakasyanartha, there's no purpose at all. Nehata, not here in this life nor in the next. Not in this life nor because people even people always plan for the future. Whether it's um, whether it's just planning in this life, you know, to put money away or get an education or your children or whatever. But people, you know, people also plan for the next life. So, so therefore, to cover all these possibilities, Preeti uh, says there is no purpose. Kastyanartha, there's no purpose, not in this life, nor in any future life, except, retain, except Paranugraham, mercy to others. Mercy to others, there's no other purpose. So, of course, about the sages, and he's acknowledging their kindness and coming there to him, because, because you have no other purpose except kindness to others. There could not be any other reason for your coming. They're not just like sort of like this. Uh, I don't even call uh, you know a crowd of people who just wants to see someone jump off a building, or they they heard that someone's going to die, that Cain's going to die, so they want to be there. Like when Michael Jackson died, there was all this publicity, and so you see how the public has these uh, you know, strange fascinations. It's interesting, so Parichi is saying here that you have no other purpose. There's no other reason. You didn't come here for any other reason not to get... Because another possible reason would be uh, financial. Uh, In the relationship between Brahmins and kings... uh, Can someone turn this fan off? Oh, it's this fan. Um, there were many sages who depended on the government for their maintenance. And you see this very clearly in the Mahabharata when uh, all the Brahmins are going to the Swam, uh, to Draupadi Swambara. Boy. All the sages are going to Draupadi Swambara and these sages, of course, take the Pandavas along and say... You know, why don't you come with us? And they specifically mention that there's going to be distribution of there's going to be distribution of wealth at the sacrifice. So when when these great sacrifices were held, a swamvara, or all these great occasions, it's always mentioned that there was very generous distribution of charity. And this distribution of charity at great events was a uh, was an important part of the uh, you could say the, uh, the the maintenance of the Brahmins. They really depended on these events. And as we know there are some Brahmins who are great sages and detached and yogis and there are many who were just sort of um, royal functionaries. We see it in the case of Jarasandha, for example, that he had his Brahmins. Every demonic king had his staff, had his Brahminical staff. And there are Brahmins that, that are simply perform rituals. They, they learn rituals, they perform the rituals, and they're, they're almost like employees. And um, you see this uh, very much in Indian temples, actually, in the West, where they'll, they'll bring a priest over, or a pujari or something, and the person... Very much like an employee, they just you know they, the the uh, the rich patrons of the temple literally snap their fingers and you know give this person a garland, do that, get this done, it's, and and they're really treated like employees. So uh, and then some Brahmins had ambition. You see this in the case of Drona and his son Ashwatthama. They were so called. They were Brahmins, 
Ashwatthama was a so-called Brahmin, but he had practically no Brahminical qualities. And even Drona was on the battlefield, which was, of course, and Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, it's very dangerous to do the duty of another, to do another's duty. So Drona uh, really did not honor his position as a Brahmin, and he, he, he took part in war. Here's a Brahmin using weapons to kill other people. So, uh, if we look, if we take a, an honest look at the Brahmin class, uh, it, the picture is mixed. There are great sages and there are other things too. In fact, we find verses that Prabhupada often quotes when he's making the point that, uh, a point that's often made in the Vaishnava scriptures, that... Um, a Vaishnava who, who is truly devoted to Krishna is above even a Brahman. So th- there are Brahmins who are not really Vaishnavas, who didn't really understand Krishna. And so because the Brahmins themselves, uh, then we see people in ISKCON, there are devotees in ISKCON who kind of live by, you know, doing elaborate rituals and they get paid for it. And it's, you know, it's like a job. They'll, they'll bless anything. Cars, businesses... I don't know, soft drink dispensers, I mean, I mean whatever. <laughs> and, and, and this is not something new. This is not something new. This has always been going on. So, therefore, uh, here, uh, Parichit Maharaj makes clear that the Brahmins who have come to him are the real thing and that they have no other purpose in coming. Because generally, when a Brahmin approached the king, it was often to get some financial assistance. So he says here that you have no other purpose than to than kindness to others, mercy to others. The word for mercy here, anugraham, is also interesting. Graha, of course, means to take. Graha is cognate with the English word grasp or grab, graha. And anu means along or following, so to take someone along. In other words, if someone is in a more fortunate position, and they take someone else along, so that other person becomes fortunate. That's literally what anugraha means. So, uh, it's interesting, there's another common word for compassion, which is anukampa, which is tate anukampan, susamikshamano, and so on. And kampa literally means to tremble. Like Kampate Bhu, typical statement in the Bhagavatam, some great demon comes and the earth trembles. So, Kampa, this verb Kampa literally means to tremble. So, Anukampa means to tremble along with someone in the sense of, it's, it's actually uh, exactly the same as the English word uh, compassion, because Kom is just, of course, Kom, like with, and along with. So, so the C O N O C O M and in Latin language, English is just anu, anu in Sanskrit. And um, passion, this is an older, another sense of the word passion, which means suffering. And it's, it's the use of the word passion, for example, the passion of Christ, which means the last part of his life when he was suffering through crucifixion and so on. And so, compassion, compassion, it um, literally means to suffer with someone, to share their suffering. And so this is something like the word anukampa. So it's interesting, these words for mercy, anukampa, anugraha, that there's always a sense of, of taking someone along with you or somehow sharing with them or joining them, that someone's in an unfortunate position, but you, uh, you, don't, you don't avoid this unfortunate person who can't really do anything for you, but rather you, um, you somehow bring that person in or, or take them along or share with their difficulties. So that's what—that's the quality that Preachit Maharaj attributes to the sages. And then he says, "Tatastavak pritcham imam vipritche." It's very interesting. Vipritche, uh, v. Anyway, uh, why not? I'm tired, so I'm just going to indulge myself in uh, grammar. So, uh, pritche, of course, means I ask. 
And V Pritche, the word V in Sanskrit is the opposite of Sam. Sam means together, like Sankirtan. And V means apart. So uh, the word V meaning apart often is used in the sense of uh, categorically. Or And here it's like, it's like um, V Pritche, I specifically ask. Because uh, the word... Uh, anyway, we'll, we'll know the grammar. But. So it's very interesting. It's just very elegant. The Sanskrit is just so beautifully written. Or composed or spoken. I specifically, it is about that which should be asked that I specifically ask. Is literally what he says. Tatascha va, you. And the va, if any of you know Spanish, you'll recognize from Spanish, vosotros. Vosé. Vas es vosé. So uh, I ask you, about that which should be asked, I specifically ask you. Vishrabya uh, vipra, trusting, vishrabya, trusting you. Of course, we often inquire from so-called authorities just to, you know, get a second opinion. But. Um, But it's interesting here that Prakshi says, Vishravya, actually trusting you. And Vibra iti krityatayam. Very interesting word. The Sanskrit is very interesting here. Krityatayam. Uh, Kritya, the geranda form, uh, means uh, that which should be done, or duty. Kritya. And Kritya means sort of in the matter of what should be done or concerning what should be done. And so he says, I'm asking you about regarding what should be done. Sarvatmana, wholeheartedly, or with all with all one's soul. And Riyamana, Riyamana and specifically, uh, what should those who are dying, those who are dying, what should they do? And what is there? What is a pure duty? In other words, when those who are dying may do many things, but what is the pure thing to do that is free of? And because if at the time of death I do something which is not pure, that impurity is is obviously going to uh, come back to trouble me in the next life. So when you're dying, it's the last time you want to do something. It's the it's the the worst time to do something impure is when you're dying. And therefore, uh, Prashi says, what is the Krityam Shutam? What is the pure thing to be done when, when, for those who are dying? And Tatra Amrishita. And it's very interesting. He doesn't say to them, I'm sure you guys have got that down. So just, he says, Amrishita, think about it. In other words, even though he's praised them so highly, you're the Vedas personified from heaven or like that, and you have no other purpose except to be kind to others, but think about this very carefully. That's also, it's interesting that he says that, Amrishita. <coughs> think about it, reflect upon this. And then, Aviyukta. Uh, uh, those, all of you who are appropriately engaged. And then, so here he's talking to the sages and they don't answer. Before they can answer, something happens. And that is, the greatest of all sages arrives there. And so, and so that's the verse we're doing now. Tatra, they're in, in, in that situation. Abhavat Bhagavan Vyasaputra. So, it's very dramatic. It's, uh, the composition is very dramatic. So at that point, at that moment, Tatra, <coughs> Bhagavan, you know, this Lord, the son of Vyas, arrived. Yadrichaya Gamatamanu Napiksha. And it's very interesting. Yadrichaya, just somehow or other. Yadrichaya, somehow or other. Uh, Vyas, Bhagavan, this Lord, Vyas Putra. Son of Vyas, Atamana, who's wandering the earth. It's just interesting how the word, of course, we have the English word cow, as you know, and it, it's, it's obviously 
uh, intimately connected with the Sanskrit word gao. I mean, the Sanskrit word is gao. It's just it's the same word, gao, gao, it's the same word. And uh, then it becomes go. Go is just one form of the word. But the original word is actually gao, cow, it's the same word. So go, and then this word cow can mean other things. It means various, it's a very interesting word. Sanskrit is a um, sort of a sophisticated, you could say almost mystical language in the way it's used. And so it also means earth. And here that's the word gam. Gam is just the accusative form of the word go. It's just, it's just the object of the verb. He was wandering the earth. And uh, it's interesting because it said that when uh, the earth was overburdened in the 10th canto, that the earth took the form of a cow. But it's the same word, really. Go So it, it's, it's interesting how... And, and, and you see this... Uh, why, I mean, the thinking behind this, that the same word means cow and earth, in the, in the story of Prithu Maharaj in the fourth canto, where it said he milked the earth, so to speak. Because, I mean, the cow, the cow uh, is appreciated, is recognized as a source of so many, so many important gifts. And, uh, and the earth, of course, sustains us. The cow sustains us, the earth sustains us. So the earth is a kind of cow, or the cow is a kind of earth. And um, anyway, um, so he was wandering the gam. Gam is just the same word. He was wandering the earth. Anapeksha, uh, completely detached, not really paying attention to anything. His consciousness was focused within. He was. Krishna conscious, completely Krishna conscious. This is, this is the great Shuka, completely liberated sage, with his uh, blue body, and so he's just he's just completely thinking of Krishna and just wandering the earth. And somehow or other, he just there he is, just at that moment. Of course, obviously Krishna's arrangement and alakshalingo. Very interesting. How does Prabhupada translate this? Um, unmanifested symptoms. Prabhupada did not manifest any symptoms of belonging to any social order. Linga, linga means a visible sign or symptom, something by which you can recognize something else. Is linga and uh, alaksha, imperceivable or unrecognizable. So his linga, like who he was or what he was, was was, was unrecognizable. Nijalabhatushta very important quality which Krishna also paraphrases in the Gita. Tushta, satisfied with his own achievement. Satisfied with his own achievement. Uh, we, in the association of others, we who are conditioned souls feel a need to get some attention, some approval, or, uh, you know, uh, I need people to like me, or something. You know, that's why it's kind of... Whenever, when we're with other people, we have certain human needs in our relationships with other people. But here, in the case of Shuka, uh, he's described as Nijalabhatushta, satisfied with his own achievement. This is real freedom. If, for example, if you have enough money to take care of yourself, then you're free. You can do whatever you want. And if you don't, then you've got to depend on others and life gets more complicated. So, the same is true emotionally. If one can be satisfied with one's own spiritual achievement, if we can be satisfied in our relationship with Krishna, Prabhupada, then um, we're free, we're independent. It gives us it gives us the freedom to act entirely according to our highest principles. So, uh, everyone wants freedom. What is it, who's that guy? That actor scream freedom at the end of it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The one who loves violence so much. Anyway, um, so everyone talks about freedom. And yet people are, of course, nowadays, actually debt, like credit card debt's actually decreasing, people are sort of waking up, but 
but you know, people are so much in debt, so much attached to so many things, addicted to so many things, they talk about freedom. It's actually sort of farcical. This is real freedom. Needs a lot of two Satisfied with one's own achievement in Krishna consciousness. And Pratascha Balayar, surrounded by children. It was sort of a curiosity. Because, I mean, the, this Avaduta Vesha, uh, Vesha means dress. He was dressed like an Avaduta. In other words, he wasn't a fashion hound, obviously. He was, this is Sukha. Sukadev Goswami. And so, now for us, I mean, let's say, at a, well, I don't want to say for us, but a person in general who's at a lower stage of Krishna consciousness, uh, this world is sort of the real world. This world is a real world, and my body is an immediate and extremely important thing. And, and therefore, in our behavior, we're always responding to this world, because that's the world we're in. This is the world that we're really conscious of. So when a person becomes truly Krishna conscious, so that the relationship with Krishna is is a constant reality. You're emotionally engaged with Krishna, and you and you are conscious of the spiritual platform. Then naturally, some your behavior sometimes may because you're dealing with that higher world, and so and so sometimes one's behavior may seem a little unusual. Uh, to those on a lower plane, but Prabhupada is a very good example because he was a perfect gentleman in this world, even as he was obviously his consciousness was in another world. So, and even Krishna says set a good example. What is that verse that Jajadacharji Shastas? Whatever the best person does, whatever the best person does, Tattarivetarajana, uh, the ordinary people. Follow. So I did pramana and kurute, and literally whatever evidence, whatever evidence this person establishes, because the behavior of a leading person is pramana, it's evidence. Lokas tadanavarti, the world follows it. So anyway, uh, so avaduta vesha, avaduta vesha. The word avaduta is also an interesting word. Literally, kind of means shaking off or shake it up or in the sense that um, <laughs> in the sense one was sort of shaken off worldly customs of a dutta any questions so far on these points oh read the translation you know, read, read, yes oh Shesha in the beginning you were talking about the purpose for it Gathering there, and other purpose that you're referring to Dharma. Um, can we understand from that reference when you said that the, the, the nature of the soul is this to benefit others, not oneself? Is that uh, that's a good point. It is the nature of the soul. Because a healthy soul, a self aware soul, is naturally satisfied. This Atmanyevatmanatushta, uh, uh, Krishna says in the Gita, one who's satisfied in the self by the self alone. There are many statements like that in the Gita. Krishna talks about Atmarama, the term Atmarama, one who takes pleasure in the self. Atmasantushta, one who's satisfied in the self. And so on. Atmarati, another term Krishna uses in the Gita, uh, one who's delighting in the self. So yeah, someone who is fully satisfied has the you could say the luxury of being generous, uh, because if, if you if you're satisfied, you don't want anything, and you're a pure soul, and you see other people who are really one with you because they're also souls. They're we're all part of Krishna, and you see they have some need. Then of course, it's like parents. When parents see their children have some need, then the parents only think about the children, isn't it? So it's um, 
it is it is a real luxury to be self-satisfied. It gives you the ability to be noble. It makes you free. It's real life. And to be... There's something... Um, any, as long as we have material desires, we're always beggars. Even though you may, we may disguise our beggary in many elegant, you know, all kinds of sophisticated social behavior, but behind all that sophisticated behavior, we're just like dogs begging for a bone. In our relationships and all kinds of situations, it's it's very um, what's the word? demeaning and embarrassing. And so this freedom of being satisfied with Krishna, taking our relationship with Krishna seriously. If you think about it, I mean, we... What is that great verse in the second canto? Shotavya dini rajendra ninam santi sahasra shaha. That among human beings there are topics, things to be heard by the thousands. And not only to be heard, that needs to be heard, to be repeated. In other words, topics. Topics for communication. There are nirnang, among human beings, there, there are topics by the thousands. And yet, uh, the source of everything, the Adi Purusha, the infinite person, all attractive, of whom we're part, is actually in our heart at every moment. And there's something absurd about the fact that we go through the day and we talk about so many things and we become concerned about so many things and all along, all the while, the 800-pound gorilla in the heart, so to speak, I mean, I mean the 800-pound gorilla in the room, so to speak, I mean, Krishna, Krishna is there all along. He's right there, Krishna. He's right there in our own heart. And the fact that we are not seeing Krishna all the time means that we've actually rejected our own hearts. Because if we, you know, some people sort of brag about how, I'm, you know, I'm not really into my head, man. I'm, I'm, you know, for me it's about the heart. And uh, <laughs> some people take pride in their mindlessness. <laughs> But actually, but actually, if we really, if we really accept our heart, if we really are in touch with our own heart, we see Krishna, because that's what's in the heart. So if someone is not seeing Krishna and not seeing the soul, what does it mean to say that you're in touch with your heart? You're just, you know, you're kidding yourself. So, yeah. It's Krishna. It's about Krishna. Remember that line from the, I think it was in 19, uh, 1992 presidential campaign, the Clinton campaign, they came with that great line, is the economy stupid? Remember that? And so it's like, in other words, there was, there was a campaign in, in George H. Bush, the economy's going bad, he didn't talk about it. His idea was, it's kind of like that strategy that it's all psychological. You know, the economy's bad because people think it's bad, and therefore they're not spending money. And if people think that the economy's good, then they'll spend money, and the economy will be good. So it's all psychological, not really economic. And so even though the economy is going bad, his strategy in the campaign was just don't talk about it, just be real ebullient, you know, be real buoyant and happy. And the economy really was going down. And so Clinton campaign came up with this line, this simple line, which was... Uh, it's the economy, stupid. Like you're missing the point. So it actually had a real big effect on the campaign. The economy. So, I, you know, in that sense, I want to say it's Krishna, stupid. Because we, we get involved with so many emotional issues. I mean, we, you know, we all have... Um, that's what Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita. Yavasayatmika buddhya ekeha kurunandana the buddhi, the intelligence, which is vivasayatmika, 
It's interesting, the word atmika is interesting as a, as a suffix. Of course, the word atma is self. And atmika is kind of like little self. It's, it's like the ito in Spanish, like, uh, like padre's father and padrecito, you know, little father, daddy. So, so, uh, so atmika is that diminutive form of atma. But here what it means is, it, it, as a suffix, like gibasayatmika, it means something whose very self is something. In other words, that intelligence whose very self is gibasaya, determination. That's kind of what it means literally, whose very self is something. Interesting, isn't it? That atmika. Gibasayatmika uh, bhuti. So intelligence whose very self is determination. Eka, it's one, it's singular. Iha, in this life. Ekeha kuru nandana. Gibasayatmika budhir, ekeha kuru nandana. Bahushaka, many branches. Bahushaka, yanantascha. So, uh, many branches, it, with many branches, indeed unlimited are the intelligences, buddhiyo, of yabasayinam, of those who do not possess this determination. For those who do not have this determination, the, their, their intelligence or their intelligences, buddhiyo, uh, are many branched. He, indeed, yabasayinantas, indeed they're unlimited. So it's, um, it's actually a miserable life if you think about it. I mean, imagine really getting emotionally disturbed about financial problems, family problems, general social problems, health problems, your own emotional problems, and you know, professional problems on the job, and, and actually, and so all day long you just like bounce from one problem to the other. It's just like life as nonstop problem solving. Not even solving, just problem addressing. And it's, if you think about it, that's pretty wretched. I mean, it's miserable. It's, well, that's not a life, really. And so, um, Krishna says you can consolidate all your problems. You can, you can make one simple monthly payment. <laughs> So that, that's Krishna's point. I mean, Krishna, if you think about it, there is something truly insane about material life. Or even about just not being Krishna conscious. Because here, here is someone, Krishna, who is all-powerful. It's not like, you know, I'd really like to help you, but I have, I'm struggling myself. <laughs> Here is someone who's all-powerful, who knows everything. I mean, someone can be really powerful, but kind of stupid, and to never quite communicate to them what you need. And, you know, they, they can help you, they have the power, but you just can't communicate with them. Or maybe they really understand you, but there's nothing they can do. Or maybe they really understand you, and they have the power, and they just don't like you. No, I, I hear you. That's what they say in America, I hear you. In other words, I heard what you said, and, and that's the reason... I'm not agreeing with you. It's not because I didn't hear what you said. <laughs> so, but if you can put these three together, you've got a big winner. I mean, someone that knows everything, perfectly understands you, and has the power to do anything you need, and actually cares about you. That's the best possible situation. And there is such a person and it's not that that person's like internet is down right now so you can't communicate with them or <laughs> or your cell phone battery just ran out or you dropped your cell phone in the bathtub or something. It's not like that. Krishna's in the heart. Krishna's in the heart. So here's this person offering and saying like Krishna's saying like just, you know, just let me know when you're tired of being stupid. <laughs> So Krishna 
is offering, and we are sort of, you know, to some extent, accepting his help, but to some extent, we are actually very attentive because we still have that momentum from our material consciousness where we are attached to doing things ourselves. We're attached to keeping. I really want to be in charge of my own life. What is a line sometimes now that psychologists tell people to say? I'm an adult. I make my own decisions. So, I mean, Krishna's offering. Krishna's offering that. So if we. If we truly give ourselves to Krishna, or re-give ourselves, because you know you can renew your vows with Krishna, in the sense that if you, if you again give yourself to Krishna, suddenly your problems aren't your problems, because if you belong to Krishna, they're his problems. Let's say, for example, you, you, you're running a company and you're deeply in debt. You're like ridiculously in debt. And a bigger company comes along and says, I'll buy your company and I'll pay you a huge amount of money and you can just work for me. And that bigger company is financially so powerful that there's, you know, there's no problem. So what you do is you, give, you sell your company that company takes care of you. You have no further problems. And you can just work peacefully. That's what Krishna's offering. Krishna's offering to take over all of our problems. So that all we have to do is think about serving Him. That's the only problem. We have nothing else to worry about except just trying to do our job for Him and He'll manage everything else. That's the offer. That's what Krishna's offering. And... Uh, if our pride, if foolish pride prevents us from taking that offer, we just end up having a miserable, neurotic life for no good reason except our own uh, willful stupidity. Yes? Well, what about the feeling that, oh, I don't want to, like, bother Krishna. Like oh, I do. Taking the deal. <laughs> yeah, Krishna. And of course, we, you're right, we don't want to bother Krishna, but you see, the deal is that you really go to work for Krishna. Now, if I say that, um, Okay, Krishna, I offer you all my problems and I'll take all the good stuff. You know, one for you, one for me. <laughs> I still am going to be the enjoyer of this body. I still want to take pride in all the good things that happen. I still want to make decisions wherever I see daylight, wherever like it's not that bad, I'll take over, you know, I'll, I'll take the wheel. Thanks. <coughs> And so then, you're right, then it's just sort of uh, taking advantage of Krishna. But if, but if we really give ourselves to Krishna, if we really put up the white flag once and for all, we really surrender, and we are content to give up the sense of, this is my wife, this is my husband, these are my disciples. Because all the four varnas and all the four ashrams offer wonderful opportunities for false ego. So, we really have to let go. And if we're still attached to thinking, you know, these are my disciples, these are my children, these are my... I mean, it doesn't mean you abandon them, but in your heart, in our heart, we really understand that, ultimately, I just work here. It's like, it's like Prabhupada always said, you know, the teller in the bank. I just work here. Nothing belongs to me. No one belongs to me. So if we're really ready to give up that false ego, that false pride, and just turn everything over to Krishna, because really the problem is, ultimately the problem is that we're not 
surrender to Krishna. That's really the only problem. Or that we haven't really heard what Krishna was saying. So Krishna's offering. Krishna says, Sarva Dharma Parityaja. Krishna is offering. He's inviting us. So if we say to Krishna, thanks for your invitation, Krishna, but I don't want to bother you. I mean, what if, for example, a father or mother has some child who left home, and the child's in distress. So the parents say, come home, we'll take care of you. And the child's really in distress. And the child writes back, no thanks, I don't want to bother you. I mean, does that please the parents? It just aggravates the parents, doesn't it? And so we have to have common sense. I mean, Krishna's a real parent. He says that. Krishna doesn't say in the Bhagavad Gita, I'm like a father or mother. He says, I am. I am the father and mother. Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita, Pitana Masya Jagato, I am the father of this world. Mata and the mother. Krishna also claims to be the mother. So just think, what is, what is the real psychology of a parent? The child's in trouble. The parents are urging the child to come back. And the child says, no. I'll just suffer here. I don't want to bother you. That doesn't please the parents, does it? So if, so if the goal is to please Krishna, we should take his offer. But you have to really do your part. You say, okay, Mom, Dad, I'm coming home and I'm um, bringing all my punk friends with me and you know, we're going to have set up a little, uh, you know, little hashish arena there <laughs> in your living room. And play loud music all night, and I'll be in and out of jail. And <laughs> so, anything else? Nilananda G. <laughs> yeah, yeah. At the end of one of the shlokas, you translate that the saves the city. should be very careful what we advise other people. We should be very careful. This, excuse me. Yes. This include, include, start with, include, and not judge people. Not judge. Yeah, judge. Not judge people. That's very important, I think. Um, That's not happening in school. They judge people all the time. We, we do have to come to intelligent conclusions, for example, but, but not, not be against anyone, not condemn people. I, I think there's, there, there's a, it's very popular now, very common in the culture to say about not judging. And uh, so if we think about what that means, and I'll get back to you said, but um, uh, a judge not only comes to a conclusion, but then gives out the punishment. And so, the negative sense of judging, perhaps, is in the sense of condemning someone. At the, same, at the same time, we do have to come to an intelligent conclusion. Because Rupa Goswami orders us, in the Upadesha Amrita, to evaluate everyone we meet, and to judge, in the sense of discernir, discriminar. We have to discern 
whether that person is superior to us, equal to us, or in a, in a lower position, so that we form the appropriate relationship. So in that sense, we have to have our eyes open. And we have to... For example, if, we, if you have children, you very carefully train your children to judge other people. Like if you see someone that's not a good person, don't go with that person. So... But you see sometimes people coming with good feelings, good want to purify yourself in the Eastern Temple, and right. you are kicked by the, the authorities from the Temple. It's happened all the time. How this kind of judgment is not good for the society. Chesa, you're the minister of justice. What you <laughs> <laughs> I think I think your point you're making is very good. That uh, judging there's two aspects: condemning. You know, that's not you shouldn't condemn, but we should use our intelligence. I mean, obviously, if someone comes with a good heart and someone comes with the right intention, then uh, we should try to help that person. At the same time, just to be balanced here. Balanced and fair, like Fox News. Uh, <laughs> at the same time, um, the person who's coming, the person who's coming, should be reasonable. In other words, if I if I approach a spiritual community, well. If I approach, let's say I approach a community, and they have their own needs. Let's say, for example, in a community, they're trying to establish a certain standard, or train people, or they're trying to, they're, they're trying to uh, just develop the community in certain ways, which they feel are necessary in order to help people. And so it's important that when I approach that community, that I honor and respect what their needs are as a community. So that uh, in a humble way the person who needs help let's say in consultation with the people in a community could come up with a, a plan that will help that person and at the same time uh, satisfy the reasonable needs of the community to maintain certain standards or, or whatever. And so there has to be this mutual respect. This mutual respect because the individual has needs, but the community also has needs. And so I think if, if we approach a community in that spirit, it makes it much easier to uh, strike a deal, a deal, face our negotiation. Did I answer your question, Linda, or not so much? I don't think so. So, uh, <laughs> is right. As far as what it means, um, what it means, like, like for us to think well, to think carefully about how, how do we apply this? Yes. In, in our lives, because we come across many situations when we have to think well, and we don't think very well, regardless if we're new devotee or devotee. Uh, I think humility helps. It's something that I personally try not to overindulge in, but, <laughs> but I recommend it for you. <laughs> I think I think good association, good association, and um, a man is known by the company he keeps. No, Jigme Kung King. You know, dime con quien andas, in Spanish they say. So, uh, I think if we keep good association, and we are uh, not passionate, passion leads to all kinds of mistakes. So, so in a sense, because Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita, actually here I think maybe is the answer. In Bhagavad Gita, Krishna describing booty, intelligence, and the three modes of nature says that intelligence and passion, ayatavat prajanati, understands things inaccurately. Literally. Understands inaccurately. 
Whereas in the intelligence, in goodness, gets it right. And so jnana, knowledge, is associated with goodness. So the more passionate we are, the more, you know, with all the symptoms of passion, the more inaccurate our understanding will be about certain things. And the mode of ignorance, everything is just backwards. So I think it's a question, there has to be a certain goodness, certain patience, another item which I'm not a person, not a word in my dictionary, but yeah, we have to be patient, we have to um, try to cultivate goodness, good association, be willing to take good advice. Because otherwise we can just filter out people who don't agree with us and eventually surround ourselves by, with people who are either too foolish or just don't care about us enough to really tell us the truth. I mean, the, the, sort of the, the classical example that is King Lear in Shakespeare. King Lear had three daughters, and the two older ones were ambitious and selfish and really sort of exploiting the father. And the youngest daughter actually loved him. The youngest daughter actually loved the father and told him the truth. And so he rejected her. And he, and everything, he was ruined. So uh, we have to have the courage and the strength to appreciate good advice, even if it's not flattering to us. I think that's another point. I can't give my money up. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So, yes? Um, self-satisfied. Does that mean that one includes that one no longer has like uh, a desire for some association? Uh, interesting. A very interesting question. Uh, I think devotees are always enthusiastic and take great pleasure in the association of other devotees. But they, but they take that pleasure in, in the mood of service. For example, Prabhupada, at a certain point in his life, had to leave the only country in the world where there were any devotees. And he went to America alone because that's what he had to do for a service. His service required that. And of course, then Krishna sent him, as Prabhupada always used to say, Krishna sent him hundreds and thousands of devotees. So uh, we should love the devotees and we should love the association of devotees and yet we should take that association in the, in, in the spirit of service in Krishna consciousness. And of course in, in the uh, earlier stages of Krishna consciousness we really need to stay with devotees. Otherwise we may you know, end up using ketchup with onions in it or something. <laughs> Yes. Um, we like we we've been talking about um uh Nija Lava two stuff. Sorry, I'm sorry. That's pretty good. Um but um you know, like there's that kind of feel good statement that people make they say count your blessings, you know, like in some communities people say count your blessings. And we've been kind of talking about this topic actually in this in this lecture and I just want to bring this up. Um you know, we have so many things that we can be grateful to Krishna about. And if we pay attention to them, if we pay attention to them, their happiness will be derived. You know, um, I've heard wisdom from other devotees that have said, you know, pay attention to what Krishna gives us. If you can, you know, without repeating myself too many times here, you find happiness that way. Yeah, I think the expression "count your blessings" is very nice. I think it's it's a call for gratitude, and um, everything is Krishna's mercy. So if we can see everything that happens in our life is not everything, not every silly thing we do, but everything that happens to us, you know, all of it. Everything that happens, see it as Krishna's mercy. That is the um, ticket to liberation, according to the Bhagavatam. It's a very very important thing. Is everything Krishna's mercy? What time is it now? Quarter. Ten to nine. Okay, we're now we're going to have uh, sports, weather, and traffic. <laughs> so, thank you all very much. Sita Prabhupada Ki Jai.